Hi, beauties. This is the Beyond Beauty Project with your host, Bridget Burrick-Brown, the show that's redefining the meaning of beauty. Enjoy, and we're so grateful to have you part of the conversation. Hi, beauties. Welcome back. Today, I am here with Karen Oliver. Karen is a former social worker with a background in mental health, domestic abuse, sexual exploitation, and addiction. She is currently training to become a psychotherapist specializing in eating disorders and body image. Karen launched Beyond the Bathroom Scale in 2012 and developed her multi-award winning coaching program, Beyond the Bathroom Scale, in 2018. In this episode, Karen discusses her journey to help others make peace with food and their bodies how to become in tune with our bodies and follow the cues they give us through intuitive eating, the media's influence on diet culture and disordered eating. We also discuss tools that people can use to cope with distressing beliefs and emotions surrounding disordered eating and food restriction, the impact of societal beauty standards and what we can do to help shift this narrative. And also being mindful on how we speak about food and weight to our children and our peers. Karen is one of the smartest, most knowledgeable, and most kind people I've spoken to thus far about body image and disordered eating. I could have picked her brain forever. I'm so grateful I got the opportunity to talk to her and that I get to share this with you guys. I hope you're going to enjoy and learn a lot. So here we go. Welcome back, everybody, to the Beyond Beauty Project. I am your host, Bridget Burrick-Brown, and today I am here with Karen Lynn Oliver. Karen, thank you so much for joining me today. I am very excited to jump into all of your wisdom. Um, So thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. And you are coming to us from England. Yeah, Leicestershire in England, right in the middle. Okay, so we're going to jump right in. I would love to start by hearing about your journey behind creating Behind the Bathroom Scale and just wanting to focus on helping others make peace with food in their bodies. Tell us how you came to creating that. Yeah, so it actually started in 2012, which feels a really long time ago now. Uh, It started as a really general kind of health blog. At the time, I just started going to the gym and I was dealing with a lot of um, a lot of issues around my own body image at this point. I was really worrying about my appearance, my weight. I was just frantically worried about everything, particularly even boobs. That was like a big hang up right from teenage years. Yeah. Um, so I started writing about health just generally and just how I was trying to improve my health. But then somewhere around 2015, I actually realized that all the things I was doing that I thought was just improving my health, that I thought weren't about weight, were actually totally about losing weight. It was all tied up in it. and I just hadn't realized it at the time. So I was doing things like um, using an app to track calories tracking every single mouthful I ate, tracking every step, tracking every movement I made. It got to the point where if I turned up at the gym and I'd not got my fitness tracker, I felt like I was wasting my time being there. And I realized, oh no, I've I've tipped way beyond just just trying to look after myself. This has now become an obsession. And this is healthy. This is exactly what I was trying to avoid. And I still slipped into it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of pivoted completely away from it being a health blog per se. And I started reading up on things like intuitive eating. And at this point, the body positivity movement was really coming into like it was all over social media. It was starting to be on the covers of magazines. It was starting to get really big, even though that's been going for a really long time. It's just it's always been in the shadows. No one wanting to talk about it. Yeah. Um, So that was coming to the foreground. And as I started to learn more about that, I started thinking, actually, I would much rather be doing this. This fits more with eating disorder recovery, which I'm training as a psychotherapist and I want to specialize in eating disorders. And I thought a lot of what we see in popular media about health or about fitness 
is actually really disordered. It's really normalizing many of the habits and things that you would see in a full-blown eating disorder. Wow. It's like a version of an eating disorder. And it's a really fine line. And it's so easy to just tip it. I mean, you can be consciously aware of what eating disorders are and what they look like. And yet you can still exhibit some of them behaviors. And if you're not careful, you slide straight into that criteria. So that's where Beyond the Bathroom Scale started. It began as a health blog, but very much pivoted to it's now a mental health service for eating disorder recovery and also disordered eating and body image. Yeah. I mean, I never thought about it that way, how much of our media is actually promoting disordered eating. Yeah, it's normalizing it. It's really normalizing it. I mean, it isn't normal to worry about what's in every mouthful of food you eat. That Mm -mm. isn't a normal thing. And yet it's printed on packaging and it's, it's done under the guise of promoting health. But all it's really doing is promoting anxiety around food. Yep. It's making us overthink it so much. And it's supposed to be just such a simple thing of, I am feeling hungry. Hmm, I quite fancy eating this. I'm just going to eat this food. Yeah. And it, instead, you completely overthink it. It's It turns into, am I deserving of this food? Am I bad if I eat that food? Am yep. I doing something wrong? Do I need to go and burn off some calories to earn this food? Yeah. It, it, it completely it becomes a whole mental game yes. about having one snack. It's so true. Yeah. It takes up so much mind space as well. It just hogs so much of your time and your attention. I can even remember I was sitting um, in a stadium at a game with people, and I can remember they bought snacks. And I remember tracking on my phone. I opened the app. I got really dodgy Wi-Fi. Couldn't load it. And I was panicking, like, I don't know if I have the calories left in my allowance available to start Aww, eating these snacks. Yeah. I'm just going to have to leave them. And I was watching everyone else enjoying hot dogs and burgers and stuff. And I'm just there going, no, I don't have the calorie allowance. I can't open the app to check. No. Like, so worrying. I remember going to the cinema and taking grapes, thinking, no, I'm not having popcorn. I'm being good today. You know, yeah. that whole moral thing of I'm being a good person if I just have grapes at the cinema and don't have popcorn or something. It's... It took over my life. Yeah. Talk about like taking us out of the present moment Mm. instead of enjoying like the game you're at or the people you're with. It's like it takes us right out of it and into this focused obsession of, like you said, and it can turn us into like, yeah, where we go down a shame spiral or it, it tells us if we're good or we're bad. Um, I want to just break down some of the like terminology. I saw that you did this on your website mm-hmm. and I thought it was super cool because I don't know. I think like, okay, we'll we'll start with just like the definition of a diet. Like what is the definition of a diet? Because I think a lot of us grew up watching our parents on diets mm-hmm. or we can really think they're always a healthy thing but give us just the definition of a diet to start yeah so i remember thinking like you said watching parents dieting so i remember thinking diets were like a really restrictive meal plan and you just at this at a particular time i remember there was something called the special k diet back in the 90s when i was growing up where every <laughs> meal was just this bowl of special k cereal i mean how oh. so i thought diet were that i thought that's what a diet looked like cabbage soup diet like really diety feeling diets yeah and, but there was so much promotion around particularly calorie counting apps apps and things like that of oh it's not a diet you can eat whatever you want but only a really small portion of it um so a diet is actually any kind of restriction whether that's a restriction on calories whether it's a restriction on a particular food type mm-hmm. including avoiding food for um like allergies or intolerances or religious reasons obviously or yep. choosing vegetarian i mean restricting something like say carbs or restricting or, or like keto diet these are probably diets that people realize are diets but even restricting portions consciously thinking i'm just allowing myself to eat this size of whatever it is that you've just pulled out of the fridge i'm only allowing that i'm just eating two fingers of this i'm just eating three slices of that even that in itself is dieting because yeah. there's still that element of mental restriction of I can't eat more than that. This just has to satisfy me. 
And for as long as we're doing that, there will always be that part of your mind that it's almost like a naughty child. If you tell a child, oh, there's a big red flashing button there, do not touch it. That child's going to keep looking at that button thinking, well, I want to touch it. I want it. You've told me I can't touch it. It's all I can think about now. And so with dieting, when we restrict food in any way, even if it's psychological, even if it's calorie counting, anything, even if it's like I see this traffic light system a lot on different apps now, where it's like, this is a red food. You can eat a small amount of that. This is a green food. How about it? Have as much of that as you want. That is still a diet. It's still a rule. So a diet, by definition, is any kind of rule or restriction going on around food, whatever yeah. that looks like. It doesn't have to come from a diet book. It doesn't even have to be an app. It can just be going on up in your head. It's really messy. So it makes me think that so many more people are dieting than they're yeah. even aware of. Yeah. And then the other thing that I just thought of when you said the traffic light analogy, like I almost feel like diet culture is makes everything so confusing and we're going to get into intuitive yeah. eating in a little bit, but like when you're saying those things or like how many calories are this, it just makes my head twirl. I'm like, oh, that's just a lot. And yeah. then it just makes it seem like it's so complicated to feel healthy and in our bodies when we're, it isn't as yeah. complicated. And we'll talk yeah. about that more. I want to go next. Like, how would you define disordered eating? So disordered eating is when it's that really fine line from when it slips into just trying to eat a little healthier to when it starts overtaking your world. So your mind is completely fixated on what are you going to eat? When do you get to eat? I'm hungry. Is it mealtime yet? No, it's not. Okay, I'll go and drink some water to try and stifle the hunger. It's when it starts to become that obsession. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be a full-blown eating disorder at all. You know, we seem to think of eating disorders as it's either someone who is really low body weight or perhaps someone that's misusing laxatives and things like that. So we think of that as classic eating disorders. But disordered eating still exhibits a lot of them same thoughts, a lot of the same emotions, a lot of the same underlying trauma that fuels these as well. Yeah. So, yeah, as soon as it starts to take over your life and it's filling your mind every day and you're worrying about what you're eating, that's key as well. If there starts to be anxiety and worry around each meal, you've slipped into disordered eating. It's really yeah. you. And with and that then, disordered exercise too. Say that again. So with disordered eating, we often see that people couple it with obsessive exercising. Yes. Or the attitude to exercising. So like I described at the beginning, you turn up at the gym, you've not got your fitness tracker and suddenly you feel like it doesn't count. It's worthless because it's not adding to that calorie goal or whatever you're measuring. Yeah. Or people will think the only exercise that's valuable is something that burns a load of calories, something that makes you sweat or gets your heart rate up. Yeah. When actually all exercise, even if it's dancing in your pants in your bedroom, yeah. or just cleaning the house, yeah. all of that is valuable exercise. Going for a quick walk, a yoga class, gentle yeah. swimming, like all of that is valuable movement that your body really needs to just stretch and just loosen off, especially if you're like me and you have a desk job all day. To just get out and do any exercise is valuable. But when we couple it with that disordered eating, it becomes another tool of dieting rather than something to enjoy or something with health benefits. We we take it and we rob it of all of that. We strip all the positive bits out and we just see it as this is something to help me earn food. Yeah. And to control my body. Yeah. Yeah. To control my appearance. What would you say, where's the fine line between disordered eating and an eating disorder? Officially, and this is something that as a psychotherapist, I'm getting quite vocal about in our communities. Officially, they link it with BMI, which I really disagree with. So if you were Mm. to go for, um, over in the UK, we have the NHS criteria for eating disorder recovery programs. And they see it as when BMI becomes a problem. So with anorexia, it's when it drops under a certain level. But we know that people can have the tendencies, the same habits, the same thoughts with anorexia, even when they're not at that BMI criteria. Totally. And it's referred to as atypical anorexia. But really, it's still anorexia. It's just that that person's BMI hasn't dropped to a low point. And it doesn't make sense to me to wait until someone's BMI is that low 
to then offer them help, it would make more sense to step in and use it as preventative measure to stop it dropping. But equally, people in bigger bodies can have That's eating. That's what I was just thinking. What about overeating? Yeah, things I like I did eating. a lot of overeating and like yo-yo dieting in my yeah, earlier yeah. modeling years. I would like gain 20 pounds in a short yeah. amount of time. Yeah, you can... restrict cycle all the time. And although that is, I would class that as disordered eating. I'd probably say it slips into eating disorders when it becomes really physically painful and when it's really mentally overwhelming and truly taking over your life. Yeah, so I agree. Cancelling plans if you're avoiding social life, um, if it's making you really depressed, if it's bringing up suicidal ideation, yep. lots of intense feelings of shame. It, it, personally, I think it should be assessed on how much of your mental life it's overtaking rather than what it's doing with your BMI. I think absolutely out the criteria completely for diagnosis. I 100% agree with you. I almost think using the BMI is like just another way of counting and controlling that doesn't yeah. really matter in the ending. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I 100% agree. And it's really bad for recovery to be getting people to focus on their BMI. That's what that's kind of yes. forcing them to focus on weight and their body and controlling it. Yes, you got to throw all those numbers out. The way that's really bad for recovery so i do wish that all the recovery programs would just take that out i wish yeah. dsm when it comes to diagnosing eating disorders i wish that would take the bmi element out yeah so that's my yep. own personal campaign that i'm going on i know well, there's lots of therapists getting behind this now so you're gonna you're gonna help that you know um okay so i want to talk about intuitive eating and getting in tune with our bodies um versus diet culture. But first, I would love if you could just define intuitive eating for us, because I think a lot of people aren't aware of what that is. So intuitive eating is about following the cues of your body. And a big part of that is learning to recognize them in the first place. Yeah. When we've had years, decades of dieting, we start to become misattuned to our own bodies. Mm. We often misinterpret cues for fullness or hunger we're always told in diet culture things like if you're feeling hungry but you've just eaten grab a glass of water you're thirsty instead and Mm -hmm. so that means like we we're not sure if we've even eaten enough or if we're just hungry again because we've been for a run or something or we just had a long meeting maybe we're tired maybe we've not slept well so we start to overthink our signals of hunger or fullness yeah start to overthink our cravings I hear so many times people say, oh, I really want a chocolate brownie, but I'm not going to have a chocolate brownie. Instead, I'm going to eat an apple. Then I'm going to be miserable because it was an apple, not the chocolate yeah. brownie. So then I'm going to grab like a fiber one bar. That'll help. I'll eat that. Oh, I'm still not satisfied. I still want the chocolate brownie because all I can think about is the chocolate brownie. I'll go and have a yogurt. Like, the, you know, they'll eat like six different things. Yeah. And they're still not satisfied because, okay, you're eating, but you haven't satisfied yourself on that emotional level, like you wanted the chocolate brownie, just go yeah. and eat the chocolate brownie. Yep. Be done with it. Move on with the rest of your day. And yeah. your body, you know, it's smart. If you have a bigger meal, say if you're at a wedding and you think, oh, wedding cake. I love wedding cake. I'll have an extra slice of that. Like you're probably not going to feel really hungry six hours from then and want another meal. Your body will just naturally adjust that. Okay, I've eaten a bit more than I needed six hours ago. I'm still good for now. Maybe I'll just yep. have a lighter snack later. Yep. But if you're listening to your body and it's coming from that place of my body doesn't need that right now, rather than that place of I had a big meal and I need to now fast yeah. for 18 hours because I do not deserve any more food because I overate then. That's a very different. And go on a, th- on a, you know, three mile run or whatever to, yeah. to burn it off. To try and but- repent for it. Yeah. It's interesting how you flipped it, sort of. You said, you know, six hours later, you can say, I don't, my body doesn't really need that. Instead of saying, like, I can't have that that. because I had the cake. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very different feeling to be coming at it from, am I really hungry? Like, do I feel starving or do I just want a smaller meal or something? And to just not take the guilt with that, to not think, do I deserve it? Have I earned it? 
am I greedy if I or bad if I then want another meal? Maybe you are hungry. Maybe you've walked around the wedding all day and that piece of cake has just gone straight through you and you now need something else to eat. Cool, don't overthink it. Have another meal. I and we see this a lot at Christmas. People will have massive Christmas dinners, really overstuff, and then they feel they've got to fast all the way through January to repent yeah. for it and it's not a good place to be in it might be that you're really full after christmas dinner and maybe you don't need another meal in that day maybe you just need a smaller snack or a couple of smaller snacks yeah but it's very different if it's going from them cues in your body to whether you really do feel hungry or whether you are feeling full to whether you feel you're deserving of it so yeah mindset how do you start to listen to those little cues in your body? What are some tips that we can do to kind of, I'm, I know it's a big road, you know, depending on the severity of the disordered eating, but do you have some simple tips that people could kind of start with to just start getting in tune with themselves and listening? Yeah, I actually really struggled with this in the beginning of my own journey. And what I found is I had to start getting in tune with other cues in my body that had nothing to do with eating or hunger or anything. So I started with things like tracking my menstrual cycle and really observing emotional changes throughout the cycle, noticing things like my energy levels throughout my cycle. So becoming aware, like when I'm ovulating, I have a lot of energy. I feel more extroverted. I feel more chatty. Mm -hmm. noticing that when I'm slipping into PMT territory I don't want to be around people I want to shut away I want to withdraw I want to nap yeah I started that was one way of me getting in touch with what my body was feeling um meditation mindfulness I know some people really struggle with it um but that was something that helped me because I became really aware of my breath yeah be aware of whether I was I tend to have a habit of holding my breath you know when you're it's so common this happens so many times people will be at the computers for hours a day reading emails and they're holding the breath the whole time they're reading the email and they don't even realize I do the same thing so I had to become really mindful of things like my breathing how shallow or deep is my breath am I taking a breath um energy levels how do I feel when I wake up in the morning am I really tired yeah so noticing these sort of things about my body and the more I became aware of things like my energy levels my moods all of them different aspects Mm -hmm. I started to be able to then tune into hunger and fullness I love that because it took away from it being a like a hunger and fullness diet if you like it stopped me turning it into that and it just became another part of mindfulness just another part of being mindfully aware of how my body was feeling at that present moment in time and it's looking at your whole self, you yeah. know, it's looking at your sleep, your mental health, your menstrual cycle, all of it, because I think yeah. it all comes into play. Like I remember just even last week I was starving and I had a moment where I slipped back into, you shouldn't be, you're yeah. eating way too much. And this is like the third day in a row. And then I just said, no, I'm hungry. I'm hungry and I'm allowed to eat and it's okay. I'm not, we're so different from day to day, even more, you know, hour by hour too. It's like, it's okay. It's not going to, that's the other thing I think is the problem with diets is like, it's the same thing every day. We're not the same things every day. No. And we has different needs every day. If I'm ovulating, I'm ravenously hungry. Yep. Just before my period, I don't really want to eat much. Yeah. Indigestion. Don't want to eat spicy things because I know I will get that. Yes, exactly. And if I haven't slept, I want to eat. I'm like, I want more sugar. So then I'm just aware. Okay. I'm going to have a little more sugar today. That's okay. You know, um, I, I started this thing. So in my earlier modeling years, there was just a lot of disordered eating around me. Mm -hmm. And, um, I was starting to get very triggered about around the people around me. So think of, you know, a bunch of bunch of us out to eat. Everyone has disordered eating, and it's just like triggers, trigger, trigger. So I started this thing called Mind Your Body, Mind Your Plate, okay. and I literally from since that day, probably like mid twenties, I'm always like, you know what? Mind your body and mind your plate. Don't look at what anyone else is eating. Don't because I could like people would 
if you've had any degree of disordered eating, you can probably relate to this is like watching what someone else is eating Yes, and saying, well, yeah. maybe if I ate what they're yes. eating or the amount that yeah. I will look like them. So it's funny, yes. even to this day, I like when I'm ordering and people are like, what are you getting? What are you getting? I just look at the menu. I kind of get in tune with myself and I'm like, what is, what is, what do you need? Yeah. And then what do you want? What are you craving? Do you want the chocolate brownie? Okay, get the chocolate brownie, you yeah, know, no. but it's helped me to just stay focused on myself. And literally, even in Thanksgiving dinner, yeah. people sometimes will, I'll usually have one plate. That's just what I want to eat because I want to have room for pie later, you know? Yeah. And um, they're like, aren't you going to have another, you know? And I'm like, nope. And I just ignore everybody, you know, yeah. as much Choose as I can. Yeah. 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 That's pretty good. Focusing on your own needs and your own wants. Yeah, frustrates me on social media because you see a lot of like the what I eat in a day videos, and I think it's so easy for people to watch them videos and think if I eat exactly like this person, I will look like that person. Yep. And you know, you could you could have a room full of people and give them all the exact same diet. They will still be completely different weights. They will have completely different reactions to the food. Someone will bloat from it. Someone won't be bloated. Yep. Someone will have lots of energy from it. Someone will make it will feel sluggish and they'll have a crash from it. Like our genetics cause variation and diversity in our bodies. It doesn't make sense that we all eat the exact same diet. So it, true. So, so true. Just we all have different work. like intolerances. Like I, yeah. I love the whole like eat right for your blood type. I find it fascinating. <laughs> it's like the ancestry of it. And like, yeah, there's so much that goes into it. It's so true. Um, so let's talk about diet culture for a little bit. So that's mm-hmm. obviously the opposite of listening to our bodies and intuitive yeah. eating. Um, and it really can cause like all kinds of havoc in our bodies and with our mental health. So just to start like physically, what do you think are some of the biggest things you see when it comes to diet culture physically that happens to us? As soon as we begin dieting, I notice people start on the binge restrict cycle. With that, physically, you start to see higher blood pressures. You start to see people struggle with temperature control with their bodies. Mm. If they're restricting severely, they become really cold. Um, The metabolism slows down a lot. You start to lose muscle mass. So people start to complain they're feeling weaker, they're feeling less energetic. This is all your body fighting against restrictive eating, restricting against diets. Yeah. Your body is fighting to hold on to what it thinks you're not going to give it. So it thinks it doesn't it doesn't know that you are trying to lose weight. It doesn't care about that. It's trying to keep you alive. Yeah. So when you are restricting and you're skipping meals or you're fasting or whatever you're doing, your body's trying to hold on to what's left, what's still there. Yeah. So we do see people lose muscle mass. We see the blood pressures go up, especially with yo-yo dieting. We see that with each yo-yo diet, people's body weight actually shifts. I'm convinced if dieting hadn't become such a big thing, then we wouldn't even be arguing over, well, BMIs only exist because of health insurance companies really selling this idea. Um, But I don't think people would be conscious about their weight at all if diets hadn't have become such a big part of our culture. Yeah, and with each diet, we push our weights up and up and up, and then the diet companies are then turning around and saying, "You need another diet." It's like, well, I've already tried twelve diets. If they were effective, then weight wouldn't keep going up. People lose weight and they will gain it back plus some with each and every attempt to diet. So if we just didn't diet in the first place, our bodies would just be regulating our weights naturally anyway. We're really stressing our bodies out. We are. We're People stressing our bodies out. We're stressing our bodies menstrual out. cycles. And... Yes. Lots of disruption to menstrual cycle. Yeah. And people will either lose their periods or yep. they become irregular or they become too heavy. I've even had people tell me that they've noticed when they've been restricting food, their periods have been more painful. Now, I don't know what the link between that is, mm. but it's it could even be linked to stress where we're not quite yeah. sure. A lot more research needs to be done around this, but it might even be that perhaps our periods are more painful because we're stressed and anxious. And so that's yeah. showing up in another way in our body. Stress or maybe there's like some relation to the temperature control. I don't, perhaps. 
something. Yeah. There's something interesting. Yeah. I had a girlfriend who had a lot of disordered eating and she didn't get a period for a good five years. She had to try, she had to work really hard. Um, she thankfully has two kids and, you know, but it was a struggle and it was, it was yeah. mentally really hard for her. Um, this is quoted from your site. The mm-hmm. main issue with calorie counting from a psychological point of view is that your cue to eat or stop comes from an external source, yeah. Yeah. such as calorie counting apps rather than your body's own innate hunger, fullness, and and cues. Yeah. And you said that research into eating disorders also shows that many eating disorders begin with dieting. They do. So it's yeah. interesting what you just said about how if we never had diets we probably wouldn't yeah. be so yeah yeah it brings so much awareness onto our weight in the first place i don't think there's there's no other animal on the planet that thinks this in depth about what it's eating it's just going around surviving it's just going around eating what's available and surviving and living its best life yes it's doing whereas we overthink everything we're eating our weight i don't think an animal worries about its weight It's only really when humans intervene and start feeding them different to what they naturally do that animals even have any kind of diversity in weight, really. So, yeah, yeah. But this is key with diet culture. It tells us that we don't have control or power over our own body. It tells us it's something completely out of control, something that can't regulate itself. Yeah, something needs to be intervened with, needs to be controlled. And then it tells us that we're, you know, our minds and our, we don't know ourselves well enough to be able to judge for ourselves. So we must rely on an external thing, whether it's a Fitbit or my fitness pal or Noom or something to tell us, how could we possibly know otherwise how much we should eat? So true. Human race has survived this long. That, you know, cavemen haven't been looking at Fitbits and going, well, if I sprint up with a or something. I mean, how disempowering. <laughs> it really how is. How disempowering. We really have to take our power back and say, no, yeah. my body is it wise. It is smart. Yeah. It's going to tell us what it needs. And I can I can give it what it needs. Yeah. Um. Okay, so this is a really big question. And I think some of it is probably diet culture, but... Where do you think eating disorders stem from? They are really complex. Diet culture is a factor, but they are it's by no means the sole cause. In my experience, most people with eating disorders have some history of trauma in their childhood or in their mm. teens. It might be very physical trauma towards them. It could be emotional abuse or could be anything like that. It's, it's so varied. I've known people struggle with eating disorders after losing someone close to them because it made them feel like they were completely out of control in their life Mm. and so they kind of internalize that and in feeling out of control with life they control the part of them that they think they can control so they focus on controlling themselves controlling what goes into their bodies controlling how they move their bodies controlling what their bodies weigh So trauma is a massive part of eating disorders. Yeah. Like I said, could be anything, could be an experience of sexual abuse, could be sexual assault. Even that, um, that can feed into someone's robbed me of control of my body. Someone's invaded my body. I'm now going to control what's going in and out of it. It's a very, very visceral feeling. Um, Yeah. Don't you feel like gaining weight sometimes is a way to protect could be a potential Our bodies factor. as well. Yeah, yeah, I certainly did that as a teenager very much. Um, with me as well, I went through a phase of trying to restrict my eating because I thought if I lost weight, I would reduce my breast size. And in doing that, people wouldn't sexually harass me in the street when I walk home from school. So that turned into a whole thing of, it was less about me wanting to be a particular size and more about me wanting to shrink and be invisible and just not be noticeable at all on the street and just shy yeah. away attention just not want it so wow yeah incredibly complex there's no are. really complex um i had someone on that was in eating disorder recovery earlier and um she said the m- biggest misconception with eating disorders is that people don't always understand that it's a mental disorder 
Yeah. Yeah. It's all mental. They really still, there's yeah. so much stigma still around that. So many people think it's about vanity as well. And it's often it's the furthest thing from someone's mind with an eating disorder. It has nothing to do with vanity. It really is a serious mental illness. Yeah. It's very tied in with anxiety, very tied into um, obsessive behaviors. Mm-hmm. Um, even that, again, if you read much about OCD, you would see quite a strong link with OCD and eating disorders. They can definitely occur in the same person too and it's very much a case of you get the intrusive thoughts with it um you get the feeling that if you do something in a ritual or a particular way you will have control over it and you'll somehow be safe to reduce that anxiety Mm, probably why we see in reaction to trauma with reaction to grief or assault or anything like that where we feel disempowered we think we're taking our power by being in control of our bodies and being in control of our eating Mm -hmm. it's a way of trying to grasp power back from something when we feel out of control yeah do you think the the media and the beauty ideal and these like sort of messages that go out to us constantly to tell us to look and be insert be a certain way is also a part of it definitely Yeah, yeah it definitely has an impact I don't think you could exist in the western world and not have some body hang up yeah without consciously being aware of that and going okay this is from the media this is someone's idea of beauty yeah i mean it's it it's not even just about weight it's a very western white idea of beauty there's a lot of racism packed into that as well yeah whether it's down to the shape of your nose the size of your bottom like all of these things are very genetically based Yep. And when we start defining beauty as one particular image, we are missing out a whole load of the human race mm. and narrow it down to just one type of human. Yeah. Just one, race, just one ethnicity. There's a lot of racism involved in yeah. beauty. There is a lot of racism. Linked to weight as well. And it's like it's so true what you said we're missing out. We're missing out on all this beauty. Yeah, you know? we're supposed to be really diverse species. Yeah, it's beautiful. Most homogenous image. We'd be boring looking like that. Yeah, 100%. Like a magazine. Yeah. <laughs> thankfully, slowly becoming a bit more diverse. Slowly. Yeah. Very slow. So I know you're helping to fight against a society that stigmatizes bigger bodies mm-hmm. and places so much value on our appearance, like we just said. So, um, you know, many people, I think, can look at someone's weights their appearance and decide if they're healthy Mm -hmm. um, versus unhealthy they're productive versus lazy by just by the way they look and from my experience as a personal trainer and especially in the modeling industry I know that's the furthest thing from the truth there was a lot of people that appeared really small and were doing very unhealthy things so what do you think um like, are, what are the ways or the things we can do to start shifting this narrative? I think this is a really tricky one because it requires a whole cultural shift. It requires a lot of education at the early levels. I mean, if I think of how my son's school talk about eating and they're already labeling food as healthy and bad mm. and saying, if you eat too much of this, you'll gain weight. And so it's already that, right from that young age they're being told that gaining weight they're a bad person they're they're doing something wrong they're almost like failing at school they're failing at healthy eating so it starts right from really young ages how we talk about food around kids how we talk about our bodies around kids yes i will hear i've heard his PE teacher say things like oh we're going to do this run and burn lots of calories like please do not tell seven-year-olds oh, that the whole point God. of running is to burn calories so I think this needs to start really young in schools. Yes, I agree. Strip out all of anything linked to weight and focus on health habits and it being about caring for your body, coming from a place of compassion for your body. Mm-hmm. So we're not going for a run to burn calories. We're going for a run because maths was a bit stressful this morning. And yeah. let's shake our bodies and get a bit more energy into them. Yeah, and make my head feel better, my mental health feel better. Yes. Let if it you go. focus on that sort of stuff instead of linking it straight away into weight and calories or foods being good or bad, like think of them as some foods have different nutrients in. This food will give you lots of energy. 
This one will be really delicious to eat in a different way. Probably won't give you lots of energy. So what do you need? What does your body need? Do you need something that's going to keep you full throughout the day? You've got a long day. Maybe you need something with lots of protein. Maybe you want to get really strong. Yep. Don't link it into don't eat this. That's got calories. That will make you heavier. That's a bad thing. Or good or bad. That's unhealthy. We're already linking unhealthy food and gaining weight and lumping them into a whole pile of negative. Yes. This is ridiculous with kids. They're supposed to be gaining weight. They're growing. Yeah. Weight is a good thing for them. Intrinsically, gaining weight isn't a bad thing. If you listen to men lifting or women lifting weights, their whole goal is I need to gain muscle mass. Yeah. You're not going to do that and that and not gain weight. You are going to have to gain body weight. Yeah. Gaining muscle mass. But I think weight training in itself, that slips. It has the it's not the weight training for strength that's disordered. It's the mindset that can be slipped into. Yes. You can very easily slip into macro culture obsessing yes. about you know almost like if the food is not a protein and it's not worth eating you know that sort of very black and white thinking with it the de- dehydrating yourself on purpose for cutting that's another big thing oh yeah that is not a healthy behavior like oh, i saw that so much in personal training you, you are dehydrating yourself that isn't healthy that's yeah and all sorts of things so it's so yeah. So really, we need to start with our youth. We have to start in the yeah. schools. We have to start as parents, how we speak about food and movement. Yeah, I yeah, agree. I that's the only way to do it. So that our teenagers don't grow up just with the media reinforcing what they've already heard in childhood. And yeah. The media just reinforces that. Whereas if they grow up with completely different messages, they'd be looking at the media and laughing at it. Kind of, what are you talking about? This is crap. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> I yep. need to be following this and they'd be able to tune out. So I yeah. think start really young. I think it needs to start in schools and with parents. Yeah, I think a lot is um, the schools for sure. And then just how you hear your parents talk about themselves. Yeah. I've heard people say, you know, I would listen to my mom talk all the time how, yeah. She didn't like this or this on my body, on her body. And I would look in the mirror and think, well, I have the same body as her. Yeah. Yeah. But then I shouldn't like this or this. And so I remember when I was going through a lot of like a lot of body dysmorphia after some miscarriages, I would just be like, I would want to talk about it to my husband or something like, oh, do you think these make me look big or, what? you know, and yeah. I would just, I would make sure I just zipped it. I'm like, zip it. You're going to deal with this yourself and I would journal or whatever. But I think being very mindful of how we talk about our own bodies. I want to talk for a second. A lot of people relate body positivity to the promotion of obesity, yeah, which is very untrue. Um, (laughs) Explain just your thoughts on it, I guess. I think we live in a society that it, it it fears weight gain anyway. Mm-hmm. But what it really hates is someone who is in a bigger body and is happy and probably healthier than them as well. And I think people find shock factor with that because if someone can be in a bigger body and they're healthier and happier anyway, yeah, then that proves that everything that person knows is bullshit, surely. Yeah. I think it derails their own ideas around weight and stuff and makes them have to question themselves because if I can swim 60 lengths in an hour in my body size but then someone half my size can only manage 12 gets out of breath and has to have a break well what's that say about their fitness Mm. you know it's very much a case of it'd be easier to be able to put everyone down just by looking at them yep and just think oh they have no ability at all it's so much easier to judge by appearance than it is to actually really deeply question where they stand Mm -hmm. yeah I think it makes people question and reflect on their own habits that's interesting Dean I wonder I'm thinking about this now I wonder if the people that say it's the promotion of obesity are people that maybe have disordered eating themselves and they need it to be 
that yes. it's a smaller body is the worthy body. Yeah. So these are the rules I have in my head and these are the rules I need to be kept around mm-hmm. me because otherwise I have to question everything I know. Wow. And no one wants to question everything they know. It's painful to question everything you know and everything you've been taught. Yeah. And the the comments like people I most hear this from are people like in personal training where yep. their entire business model depends on people being miserable in their bodies yeah because people are happy at whatever weight they're doing and they're perfectly healthy they're perfectly fit then why would they be you know they're not that easy to sell into personal training is easy if they're coming at it from that angle yeah Which is there's a lot of body positive personal trainers out there now that are promoting their services as like i'm teaching you the correct form for lifting weights so that you don't injure yourself great yeah. I need that. Like that's literally what yeah. I need. Show me how to do that. I like but, that. Yeah, they They're... miss it. They miss that point. That I would I would definitely buy into personal trainer yeah. correct form. I don't want to be pulling my bag. <laughs> yeah. Instead, they miss that. And it's completely a case of you want to be thin, you want to lose weight, because if you don't do that, then you won't attract a partner. And they they spiral with it, completely spiral with their marketing. Yep. Oh, I know. It it makes me crazy, actually, when I see, like, I call them, like, toxic, like, health influencers. I'm like, oh. So I think they want to push down the body positivity movement because if they actually read into any of the science behind dieting, which I'm hoping they're reading into the science of it, they're health professionals. But if they read into it, they'd realize what thin layer of bullshit it really is. Yeah, you're like right. Growing up, and it, it throws into question our entire business model. Like, why are you helping people lose weight if you know that that can cause eating disorders, fuel disorder eating, fuel body image, cause more anxiety, cause more depression, the yo-yoing of weight? You know it's going to be ineffective. You know that could actually push up blood pressure, pushes up baseline weights. So what are you doing? Why are you selling it? Why are you marketing that? Yeah, and I don't think people want to question their entire business models or entire years of university where they've been taught this weight loss model. Yeah, this is very much mired in weight loss BMI. It's going to be a lot of work for them to chuck all of that out and go. Actually, we got it wrong for all these years. We know nothing. Start from scratch. Yeah, so I, I think people. It's easier for them to just go promoting obesity. That's dangerous. It's much easier for them to say that. Yeah, actually think actually they're quite, they're quite mean over. sometimes. <laughs> if someone comes to you and they just want to feel better, mm-hmm. and they say, "I also want to lose weight," do you sort of try to shift them away from that? I will not shame anyone for wanting to lose weight because mm-hmm. it's a very natural desire to have in a yeah. very unnatural culture in a totally. culture that is fixating on it. It's very natural to want to fit in. It's very natural to want acceptance. They're yeah. not bad things to want. I understand completely on a human level, people wanting them. Yeah. So I wouldn't try and drag them away from it or shift them away because I want to work with them. Yeah. As if I'm there going, you shouldn't be wanting this. Well, I'm already yeah. against them. And Yeah. You're always t- already telling them they should be something yeah, they're not. And you're trying to tell not... them what they should want. Yep. With regards to helping them feel better, what I will do is shift the focus away. So I just won't, okay, we can park that on this side. Let's focus on making you feel better. Mm, yeah. You want to feel better. You want to lose weight because you think that will make you feel better. All right, well, let's just park the weight loss thing over here. We're going to focus on making you feel better. So to do that, we're going to focus on how we can bring compassion for ourselves how we can want to love ourselves and care for ourselves we don't have to love our body we don't have to love our appearance we don't even have to be happy with our weight we just have to get to a place where we can feel compassion towards ourselves so that we want to meet our needs and we want to care for ourselves in the same way that you would want to meet the needs of a small child if you you can think of yourself as that small child that's got needs it's hungry okay here's food it's tired okay nap time have a rest it's thirsty Mm -hmm. here's a drink don't overthink it Mm -hmm. just meet them needs and so it's it's all about building compassion for ourselves self-compassion also compassion for other people the things we say to ourselves hopefully we would not say them to other people i would really hope i hope 
some of the things I hear people say about their own bodies, I really hope they don't turn around to their friends and say the same things to them. I don't think they have many friends left. Yeah. So it's really becoming aware of those thoughts we have whenever we look in the mirror or whenever we're putting an item of clothing or something on. Like, what are our thoughts? And where are them thoughts coming from? Are they echoes of things people have said to us, old boyfriends or teachers or parents? Are they things that the people have said to us and then we've internalised that and now we believe them ourselves? Yeah. Are they objectively true or have we been told that truth? Yeah. Is the media feeding us that? So it's it's recognising as well whether we've internalised other people's criticisms, other people's body fears, other people's shame. Have we internalised that? Are we punishing ourselves for someone else's thoughts and opinions about appearance? And then bringing compassion, right, to ourselves and shifting those thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's really beautiful. So are there any more tools that people can use to sort of cope with, like, the distressing beliefs and emotions that come come along with their disordered eating or body dysmorphia or anything like that? Lots of different tools, lots of different self-help tools, um, mainly pulling ourselves away from thoughts of food or anything. It's not a bad thing to use food to cope with emotions. It's a perfectly normal way of self-soothing. But it's about recognising why we need to soothe in the first place. What is Mm. it that is causing us distress? Yeah. You know, it might be something. It might be something as simple as you're just tired. Or it might be something deeper, like you're not having your emotional needs met in a relationship that you're in. Yes. Which is a really common one I see. So often it's easier for us to stuff our emotions down, um, perhaps physically with food or perhaps even exercising as a coping mechanism, rather than bring them emotions to the fore and think, where is this emotion coming from? Is it something I really need to deal with in my life? Is it my job making me miserable? Yeah. The lack of boundaries I have with a relationship with someone. Do I need to actually put boundaries in place with my family? Are they tearing me down? Yeah. Am am I getting feelings like I need to diet or lose weight or something because of something my family have said? Do I actually need to go back to them and put boundaries in place for what we're going to talk about? We're not going to discuss this at the dinner table. I'm not going to sit here and listen to you criticize what I'm eating. I'm not going to have you comment on my body. I'm sorry. I will remove myself from this conversation. Yeah. So it might be that actually we need boundaries in place. Yeah. It might even be that we're struggling with intimacy in a relationship. Yeah. And perhaps we've internalized that. Perhaps our partner's really stressed, for example, and they're just not in the mood. Perhaps there's something else going on there. Perhaps some tension in the relationship. But instead, we've internalized that lack of intimacy and thought, maybe I'm not attractive. Yeah. Maybe I need to lose weight to regain their interest. Maybe if I change my weight or change my body somehow, they'll fancy me again and the intimacy will improve. Actually, it's much more likely there's a far deeper issue there that needs to be tackled. Yeah, that's so interesting. I would think too there, well, I know this in my own life, is like food can be very comforting. So mm-hmm. if you're not getting that comfort that you're wanting yeah. or needing, it's an easy that's thing huge. to turn yeah. to. Um, it's interesting that tool that you just said, because it kind of goes along with, intuitive eating and sort of really getting in touch and how you said in the very beginning, you look at the whole person, you don't just look at, you know, so you're looking at their mental health, their physical health, Mm -hmm. all of it. Um, that's really cool. Okay. I want to ask you to define body neutrality for us and how do you help your clients embrace it in their own lives? Okay, so it's a whole concept. I'm hoping I'm pronouncing it right. Body neutrality. <laughs> right, well, I am too. I had a really today. pause there for a second. <laughs> so it's it's about bringing your attention completely away from your body's appearance. So it's not even about enjoying your appearance or loving your body or anything like that. It's about recognizing that you are so much more than a body. There is a mm. lot more to you than just how you look or just your weight. Love that. You are so much more than that. You are a human being, not just a body walking around on the planet. 
you are not an ornament. And it's recognizing that you bring so much more to the planet than just your yeah. That's- yes. And our bodies give us so much more. They go, I always say they give us experiences. Yes. Like we your couldn't body. fall in oh, love. So we couldn't enjoy our kids. We couldn't enjoy a good meal. Like you can't do any yes. of that without your body. Yes. Watch a film, enjoy art, nature. Yeah. Yeah. So it's recognizing that it's, it's really more of a form of transport for us than anything. Yeah. Like we're it's so lucky. Home. We get to use it's these our home. It's holding all our organs. It's keeping us alive so that we can experience life. Yeah. And life is a lot more than weights calories food it's so much more than all of that Pants size. it's our relationships it's our passions it's our ambitions it's our political it's the change we want to make while we're here we have such short lives really i mean i know it feels like it's the longest thing you'll ever do and it is <laughs> really in human history like it's, they're the shortest moments in history yeah human life and are you really going to spend that entire life panicking worrying about how you look while you're alive yeah no one's going to care about that no one stands up at a funeral and go she was a great person she wore a size six jean like no one cares about that Mm. at your funeral they'll be saying things about how you showed up as a person in their lives what you did for them how compassionate you were how you loved how the passions you had the joy you you made them feel how you make people feel Mm-hmm. No one stands up and talks about what size pants you wear. No one cares about that stuff. No, I agree. So true. Okay, body kindness and acceptance. Yes. So acceptance is a really tricky thing to get to in recovery because we have to accept so much more than just our bodies. We also have to accept that we've experienced trauma. But not to the point of forgiving where that trauma comes from. Acceptance doesn't necessarily mean the same thing as forgiveness. Some things are just inexcusable and just unforgivable. But accepting that we've been through it, accepting that we've come out the other side of it. Yeah. Accepting that it's now our responsibility to help ourselves heal, help ourselves recover. And even if we can't do it ourselves, accepting that it's okay to ask for help. And to get that help and that you're deserving of that help, which is a massive thing to get your head around. Yeah. So many trauma survivors will think they're just not worthy of help or someone has it worse or my trauma wasn't as bad as someone else's trauma. And all of that, we need to just ditch all of that and realize that whatever we've gone through, whatever we've come out the other side of, we are still worthy of help. Yeah. It's accepting that. Yeah. Um, It's accepting that this is our body we're in it we're not going to get another one you can't just go and get a transplant body yeah we've got to care for it we've got to have that respect for it we've got to look after it if we want long lives then we've got to be looking after ourselves and that does not look like restricting the very thing we need to survive with yeah it looks like respect and compassion just like you care just like you would a child and i'm sure there's a lot of acceptance around um if you have an illness or it's really tricky. disformity, yeah, yeah, because yep. it can it very hard. much feel like our body's the enemy. If we have chronic illness, if we have disability, it can really feel very restrictive. Yeah, there'll be a lot of there's a lot of disability advocates that can talk about this a lot better than I can. I don't have yeah. the experience, uh, but yeah, that can be really tricky issue to find acceptance. Yeah. Hundred percent fighting against it. Yep. My mom had multiple sclerosis growing up, and you know her body was just failing. And yeah, yeah, I watched her have a lot of body dysmorphia and just struggles with it. Um, so I'm sure it's really tricky to have acceptance around our bodies when we feel like they're failing us. You know? Yeah. Okay. What is body confidence? Body confidence, I. A really brief way of describing it would be being able to have sex with the lights on and not overthink it. That would be an example for me. There's lots of different ways. It might look like going to the swimming pool with your kids and you're in your swimwear and you're getting that pool and you don't think twice about it. Yeah. You don't think, you know, body confidence isn't strutting around like you're a Victoria's Secrets model. It doesn't, it doesn't have to look like that at all. Yeah. It could just be that you go to a public place, you're on a beach, you're in your swimwear. You're not even thinking about if anyone's looking at you. Yeah. 
you're playing with your kids, you know, thinking about whether they're looking at you or whether people can see you at the swimming pool or something. No one's thinking about it. Like I said, you're having sex. You're not thinking about how you look in whatever position you're in. You're not thinking about whether your partner finds you attractive or whether they can see this belly roll or can they see this stretch. Yeah. You're not thinking about it. You are fully focused on the pleasure you're experiencing in the act itself yeah. and the love you have rather than being stuck in your head worrying about your body yep. you in the moment. You're, you're being present. Yes, it's being present in life. Yeah. It's not being anxious about your body at all. Mm-hmm. That is body confidence. Yeah, I love that. Super cool. Okay. I want to, before we finish up, I want to talk about your app and some of Mm -hmm. the things that you provide. So can you explain your app and any programs you have or anything? So So a couple of years ago, I developed a six month long coaching program. It was based around intuitive eating, body acceptance, all the concepts we've discussed. Um, It's got a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy resources and self-help workbooks and things tied into there as well. Uh, I've shifted it all to a mobile app because I realize people prefer to engage with it on their phones. Super cool. You put the kids to bed and then you get in you on your phone. So instead of scrolling social media feed, I've given people an app that they can scroll through video lessons. They can download workbooks that can work through. It's kind of like having a therapist at your fingertips. Yeah. So the workbooks are digital. You can download them. You could print them and fill them in by pen if you wanted, or you can complete them on a device. So there's all sorts of exercises and things in there to get people thinking, to get people reflecting. Yeah. Some of it revolves, involves digging really deep into them childhood traumas around body image or anything like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So some bits can be a bit heavy, but then there's other bits that will bring you up and make you feel lighter. There's a big course within the app on mindfulness, um, reducing anxiety, reducing overwhelm. I've also got some workbooks in there for underlying trauma. I'm adding a few more into there as well. So it, it covers a whole lot of stuff within the app. Everything I create is within the app, but I also sell workbooks separately. Separately than that. Yeah. Does it go along with the app or? There are workbooks in the app that are tied in directly with the videos, but I also sell some separately on my website. So you can just download a quick PDF. If there's just one specific thing you want to focus on, say body image, uh-huh. then I have a whole workbook that's just on body image. But if you are someone that looks through the app and think, actually, all of these courses are relevant, then it's probably better to just subscribe to the app. Okay. And can you get the workbook on Amazon or is it through your site? Or through my website. All through yes. your website. So is the app something where you can, you know, like you said, you put the kids to bed, you go on the app and you can kind of decide how you're feeling if you want to do that deep dive or you want something lighter or is it something like you kind of got to follow step by step i've kind of designed it so you would start with something like body image and work through because body image tends to be underlying the desire to diet so we tackle that first and then the other courses will be things like body awareness so it's bringing in that interceptive awareness of how you're feeling how you're feeling physically how you're feeling emotionally Mm, we start with that because that's the basic core skill of intuitive eating once you've mastered that then you can move on to intuitive eating but it's really hard to jump straight into intuitive eating especially after years of dieting or totally yeah so we kind of start from body image self-compassion then that interceptive awareness and then we move into intuitive eating then when we've got through intuitive eating, we build onto that by like making peace with exercise because it's hard to do that too soon as well. To go straight from body image straight into making peace with exercise is quite tricky because often we still link exercise with weight. Yeah. But that comes a bit later. We also cover gentle nutrition. Again, not something we can do too soon in the recovery process. Yep. I really recommend that people follow the courses in the structure that the app's got. Got it. Because it's, it's, it's order. It's you've, yeah. you've thought it out. There's a yeah, reason. It for all that. builds one onto the other. The only course I'd say people could dive straight into, and in fact, I urged them to, would be the stress and anxiety one I've got. Because that affects, I think that affects everyone. I don't know anyone that isn't dealing with stress right now. I don't know anyone who isn't stressed. And this comes from someone working in therapy, like every therapist I know is stressed. So, 
yeah, that's a really important one. I jump into that one straight away. And then you the benefit. Yeah, totally. We all need that. And then you also do one-on-one session. I'm working up to that. So I'm having a break in the minute. Um, because I'm training, I'm going through a lot of training itself, and that's quite intense and heavy. Yeah, so yeah, I'm having yeah. a break from one-to-one at the minute. But it should be back in probably next year. Okay. Okay, cool. So tell everybody where they can find your app or they can find you, keep in touch with you, your website. So on Facebook and Instagram, my uh, at is beyond the bathroom scale. You can find me there. That's my handle. On TikTok, it's beyond the scale app. The app itself is called beyond the scale. That's on iOS and Android. And my website is beyond the bathroom scale. Okay. And I forgot to ask you my question that I ask every guest before we finish, how would you define beauty? What we give to ourselves and others around us. Mm. How we look. I think it's about how we show up in the world. Yeah. I think it's about to get really spiritual. I would say it's more about our soul. Yeah, I agree. I love that. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed this. I really, I loved our conversation. It was great. I'll see you guys next time. Thank you for joining another Beyond Beauty Project conversation. Let's continue to support each other with kindness, empowered voices, and self-love. Visit us at www.beyondbeautyproject.com where you can find all of our socials and don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And listen, Bridget would love to hear from you. Don't be shy. So send us a DM or an email with your thoughts and what you want to hear about. See you beauties next time. This podcast episode is designed to be for informational and discussion purposes only. I am not a doctor and I'm not trained as a medical provider or counselor. I do not provide medical care or attempt to diagnose, treat, prevent, or cure any physical ailment or any mental or emotional issue, disease, or condition on this podcast. Always seek the advice of your own physician or other qualified healthcare providers with any questions you may have regarding your personal medical condition. Do not disregard recommended medical advice or treatment or delay in seeking professional medical advice because of information or content obtained from this podcast. If you have or suspect that you have a medical or mental health issue, please contact your own health care provider promptly. For urgent medical needs, please contact your health care provider or call 911 immediately.